The Tom Woods Show, episode 1544. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, by far one of the most dangerous economic misconceptions of the 20th century is that the financial crisis of 2008 was caused by deregulation. Unregulated capitalism led us here. It's dangerous because the next time this happens, they're going to come up with even worse solutions. So we got to get this one right. And you can if you read my free ebook, The Deregulation Boogeyman. Pick it up at regulationmyths.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at The Tom Woods Show. That's just me. Actually, that's not true. My audio guy does indispensable work. I have various assistants. I have a lot of people who help out on the Tom Wish Show. Yeah, so the whole team is saying happy Thanksgiving to you. I want to remind you of a couple quick things. It's Black Friday weekend, of course, uh, coming up. So grab your lifetime membership to libertyclassroom.com because that's where you really can improve yourself. As part of this movement, you got to start by improving yourself, learning everything you can. Well, this is my dashboard university where you learn all the history and economics that they kept from you. Let's put it that way. And I am lowering the lifetime membership way, way down and you get a ton of stuff and you will never lose another debate and you will make mincemeat of your enemies. But I trust you will use all this for good and not evil. I don't know how you could use this for evil, but go check that out right away at libertyclassroom.com. If you're hearing this on Thanksgiving, I've already started the special deal. I've jumped the gun on Black Friday. So go ahead and grab that. You'll be crazy not to. It's the best deal you can imagine. And then secondly, if you're in the market, you or somebody you love in the market for a foreign language course, I have a friend who started a foreign language instruction company uh, several years ago called Rocket Languages, and I always promote that as well. And they're having a great Black Friday deal as well. They're dropping everything by 60%. So if that interests you, check that out at tomwoods.com slash rocket. All right, let's talk now to our friend, Michael Heiss, who is the brains, the inspiration, the everything behind the Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party. And he's now got a whole team of folks uh, working to advance the ideals of that caucus. We've talked to him a number of times before. It's, it's what Ron Paul calls the libertarian wing of the Libertarian Party. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And he's been having some successes. And even if you're not interested in politics, let's say, you'll still be interested in some of the things that Michael is doing because they reveal how it's possible in some areas genuinely to reach across and work with people who will disagree with you on other things but really get things done, things you couldn't have imagined possible. So let's talk to him now. Michael, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Tom. Thanks for having me. You work so hard, man. It exhausts me <laughs> thinking about – just thinking about the things you do, not actually doing them, but just thinking about all the things you do. Uh, glad you're a young man. you got the vigor of youth still in you. I wanted to catch up with you about some things that have been going on, some interesting developments. And by pure happenstance, this episode falls on Thanksgiving Day. So, folks, we are, in effect, giving thanks for all these good developments going on in the world. So let's start with – well, why don't we start at the top? Let's start with a word about Jacob Hornberger. Obviously, on this program, people have heard from him. They heard an episode I did with Scott Horton about him. So we don't have to spend a lot of time telling them who he is. but what I want to know is, given that you are speaking in this case for the Mises Caucus, which I believe has endorsed Jacob Hornberger, maybe you can explain 
the reason for the endorsement for him as the presidential nominee of the LP? Well, we haven't officially endorsed him yet, but uh, we're, we're going to give everybody a fair shake. But I, I think it's fair. Oh, OK. No, I, I apologize for that. I stand corrected then. I, I thought that that was the case. Uh, I can see why one would think that. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that he's got a pretty large uh, fan base amongst our crowd and amongst the board and amongst myself. And uh, so but we're going to give everybody a fair shake because there's there's multiple candidates that are running and that have a base of support with our audience. And, you know, we we don't have Democratic input for our board. It's just the decision of the board. So we we want to be fair to our audience that, that does support other candidates. Yeah, right. And and incidentally, it's not to say that because I happen to support Hornberger that the other candidates are no good. That's you just you have to pick one. That's just the way it goes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So so but what do you want to say about him, though? Because, um, you know, Scott Horton is maybe the most recent sort of high profile person to join the Libertarian Party. And he did so because he wants to he thinks Hornberger is the best shot we have to get somebody who's in the Harry Brown tradition in the sense that he is hardcore but can explain things in a way that, you know, makes sense to people, you know, that converts people. I mean, in fact, Scott Horton was more or less converted from whatever weirdo New World Order, you know, right-wingy guy he was to libertarianism by Harry Brown. Yeah. Yeah, I think what Hornberger brings to the table is kind of like what Scott was saying, is almost like a continuation of the of the Ron Paul revolution. You know, he's he's very congenial, he's very steadfast, he he's gonna give it to you straight, but he's not gonna be rude in doing it. And he's just gonna stick to the truth. And I'm a big believer that the, the truth is radical in this society and uh that, that is what gets people going. So I, I, I think he's got a tremendous ability to do what we have been trying to do with the Mises Caucus the whole time, which is bring in small L libertarians and get them re-engaged. Now, explain to me and to the audience the process by which the libertarian nominee is chosen. It's not through a primary or caucus in every state the way that Republicans, Democrats do it. How does it happen in the LP? And what does our audience need to know? I mean, suppose... There could very well be people in our audience who have decided, you know, that's it. I'm going to get involved in my local party or my state party, and maybe I'll, I'll even try to be chosen as a delegate. What's involved there? Just the, I want all the technical stuff explained. So this is this is something where uh, Nick Sarwark is actually dead on and has been the beneficiary for a while. But it really is made up of people who show up. So the, the, the mechanism for how the uh, presidential candidate is selected is we have a national convention this year. It's well, next year, it's May 21st to the 25th in Austin, Texas, and about a thousand or so delegates from all of the state parties are selected and go to that convention and they vote on the nominee after debates and, and talks. So it's it's literally made of who shows up now, how how you become a delegate is Generally speaking, you go to your state level convention for your state libertarian party and declare that you would like to be nominated as a delegate and then you get elected. Now, it's going to be a little bit more competitive in a presidential year than in an off year. And uh, I wouldn't recommend that people don't do any work or don't do any networking and just try to walk on because there is a trust element and there is a – a seniority element and there is a, a meritocracy element. So I would recommend that people get started right now, right now, going and becoming a member of their state party and then looking to see if they have a county level affiliate and getting involved there and going to the monthly meetings there, joining the monthly meetings for their state party and just let them let themselves be known because it builds trust and it also helps build 
our brand, for lack of a better word, is a Mises caucus and build the trust around us and our uh, visibility. I want to talk um, now, actually, about some things you've been doing where you've been reaching out beyond the Libertarian Party. And that has to do with decriminalization of various substances, let's say. I'll let you fill in the blanks here, in more than one place. Now, give me the details on what these initiatives are all about and the kinds of people you've been talking to. So I, I guess I'll start with here at home. I live in Norristown, Pennsylvania, and it's a very progressive town. It's uh, about 37,000 people that live here. 70% plus of the voting demographic is Democrat. The entire city council is Democrat. And so, you know, we've been doing this whole local focus with the with the Mises Caucus. And uh, part of the mission is supporting local level candidates, but also part of the mission is issue coalitions. And I really think that in, in this environment, this political environment that's so tribalistically polarized, that the way to get through to the other sides isn't so much through argumentation and logic. I mean, you always want to make your point, but it's more so building trust. And I think how you build trust is through these issue coalitions where you now you, we're going to have to people that that move first. You know, we have to be willing to come first and we have to be willing to extend the olive branch and go to these other groups and say, look, you know, I, I believe in you know, totally free markets and, and all this. And I'm not going to convince you of that. And you're not going to convince me of your your socialism or whatever it might be. But uh, we do agree on these areas. And I'm very serious about getting something done. So that's essentially what I did is I started showing up to uh, the city council meetings and uh, the chief of police here attends those meetings. And I mean, just within a couple of meetings, uh, I don't expect it to be this easy for everybody. But just within a couple of meetings, I, I introduced myself to the, the chief of police and and you know, just threw it out there and said, hey, you know, what's the state of decriminalization here in Norristown? And uh, to my shock, he, he he went, I don't know, but, you know, it's time. You know, we, we shouldn't be arresting people for this. And, and you know, if, if somebody were to do the work, I would get behind it. So I said, OK, I'm your man. And uh, so here in Pennsylvania, we we have a medical marijuana program, uh, but we don't have legalization. And as it stands right now, there's no chance of getting legalization because there's not a single Republican that will go for it and they control both sides of the, the House. So the Democrats are basically doing everything they can to try to prove that the people wanted to put pressure on the Republicans. And uh, so I kind of use that narrative to show up to the, the city council meetings. And there's already been towns and cities in Pennsylvania where marijuana has been decriminalized. So I essentially just scanned those ordinances and found the least restrictive one, which happened to be in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, out in Amish country, and uh, took that language, replaced the city of Lancaster with the municipality of Norristown and printed it up for all of them and, and showed up to the next, con uh, not convention, the, uh, the next city council meeting. And uh, said, you know, here, you know, here's my libertarian arguments for why uh, I think you should decriminalize this. But, you know, here's the arguments that you want to hear. You know, I threw in some of the social justice elements and, and the disparity in arrests for uh, drug convictions. You know, and I threw in there the political reasons. You know, it's, it's here in Pennsylvania in 2017, the Democrat Party of Pennsylvania adopted marijuana legalization as part of their platform. And uh, so I kind of use that to say, look, it's a 70, you know, you're all Democrats. It's, the whole town is Democrat. This is a no brainer. It's going to be popular. Everyone's going to want it. And, you know, it really shouldn't be taking me, some random libertarian guy to, to come in here and say this. You, you guys should already be doing this. So, you know, they they were interested in it and they had me come back for a more in-depth presentation that has like a back and forth element. And that's when I reached out to an organization here in Pennsylvania called uh, the Keystone Cannabis Coalition, which is basically uh, the best 
legalization lobbying effort in in the state. And uh, a guy named Les Stark, who was a, a former Ron Paul supporter, actually, is the spokesperson for there and the founder of that organization. He came out and had a level of polish that I just lacked. And, you know, really connected with them and made the case. And then I all I did was follow up with some emails. And once the uh, the governor here finally came on board and said, oh, we should legalize. I followed up with an email again and said, you know, now would be a good time to support him by decriminalizing here and putting pressure on the state. And then next thing I know, a couple of weeks later, there's a news story that they voted to advertise the fact that they were going to legalize it or I'm sorry, decriminalize it. Wow. That's that. I, I love this. story. I, the, my favorite part of that story was you saying, I'm your man. Because I knew how that story was going to go, right? <laughs> I knew it. it's Michael Heiss. Of course, he's going to volunteer to do this. Well, what's going on in Dallas then? So in Dallas, that's kind of a ripple effect of. Um, so you you had Kevin Matthews from Decriminalized Denver on, and um, that was based around a ballot initiative effort in Denver, Colorado, to uh, decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms, and it was the first such effort in the country for that, and it passed by a very slim margin. And, uh, you know, we we helped with that. And so now that has spawned a whole psychedelic decriminalization movement across the country. So there's these uh, groups called Psychedelic Club and also Decriminalized Nature that are popping up all over the place trying to start up their own decriminalization movements in, in other areas. And it's passed in uh, I think it's about to pass in Berkeley. And theirs is even more radical than the the, the mushroom thing, because what theirs is, is theirs is a language to uh, and this is from Decriminalized Nature. Their language actually decriminalizes all natural psychedelics. So something called ibogaine, DMT, ayahuasca, peyote, uh, psilocybin mushrooms, all natural psychedelics are decriminalized. And this is passed in Oakland, California and, and Berkeley. So this that's popping up all over the place. And there's an effort in Dallas. Now, this is we're in the very early stages of connecting it, but I've already reached out to the you know, the director of that effort and the director of the Dallas Libertarian Party and trying to get them together and get the effort endorsed and try to get some libertarian activists and essentially do the same thing that we did with the the mushroom effort. And the the great thing about the mushroom effort is that we've made a real ally out of Kevin, you know, and and he's turning what was decriminalized Dallas into something called SPORE, which is uh, the, the Society for Psychedelic Outreach, Research and Education. And essentially, this is a 501c3 and 501c4 effort to educate about psychedelic science, as well as to support the ongoing decriminalization movement. So now he's my point man. I can go to him and say, hey, man, where's the good opportunities? Here, here, and here. I make some phone calls. I make some, I connect some people. I try to get some endorsements from the party and, and you know, mobilize our people. And now I feel very strongly that psychedelics are going to be the next domino in the drug war. The marijuana domino, while that might be a win for libertarians, it's not really associated as a win by libertarians. This gives us the opportunity to knock down the next domino and actually be, a, uh, in part, a, a victory by libertarians where they can't take us out of the conversation. Yeah, that really, really is very exciting and, and frankly surprising. I, I thought a lot more time would have to pass before we'd be able to, to get there. And I remember that Denver initiative, and I told you this, I was following the returns and it looked like it was going to lose. So I went to bed that night thinking it had lost. And then... I didn't check the news the next day. And then everybody's talking about like at one. And I thought, what? I'm sure I saw the opposite. And that's how close it was, that thing. Now, I'd like to say, Michael, I would like to say that that decriminalization initiative in Denver got the old Tom Wood show bump. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never really know. I, I will say what, that Kevin's very appreciative. And, and Kevin has come more our way 
philosophically because of that whole thing. Well, that is very nice. That's very nice to hear. Now, let's talk about another thing in your state of Pennsylvania. There was a certain Philadelphia City Council race that we were following closely. Uh, Talk about that, what happened there, and any lessons that might be learned. So, yeah, I I was uh, part of the Maj Touré for City Council uh, campaign from the beginning, and it was a very exciting race. The vote totals were underwhelming. You know, Maj was green at politics. Frankly, I'm green at running a campaign from the beginning to the end like that. And, um, you know, he caught some flack for the underwhelming vote total, but I don't think that was the the really important thing of the race. I mean, and to give people an idea of what we were up against, there's seven at-large city council seats. Maj was running for one of them, and there's a rule in place that any one of the parties can hold five of those seats. So essentially, the Democrats run the table, they get all five of their people in, and the Republicans would get two in by default. So what happened this year is a couple of progressive Democrats went to essentially a fake third party called the Working Families Party, and... Uh, dumped a whole bunch of money into their two candidates there as an end run around that minor party protection to knock out the Republicans. And they actually did knock out one of the Republicans and they came within a thousand votes of knocking out the other one. So now six of the seven seats are are entirely progressive. So I don't know how large the appetite for libertarianism is in Philly. But again, that's not really what was exciting about it. What was exciting about it was being with Maj out in the trains and being with him on the streets and seeing the reaction that he gets from people that we just normally don't see show up to libertarian events. These people, I think, can be reached and brought into the party and evolved into our philosophy. I have just I have other things I want to talk to you about, too. I don't actually know the details of the Texas uh, Second Amendment project, but I'm sure you do. Yeah, so that's that's another one of the projects that we're working on. Jose Nino, he's he's been a guest on your show. We've contracted him to manage and organize an effort in Texas to um, get Second Amendment protection ordinances introduced in five towns in Texas. And there's kind of a narrative going on in Texas of a lot of people moving into Texas and changing the political landscape. You know, a lot of people are thinking that it's going to go Democrat and that that political result doesn't really match up with the culture on the ground. So we're kind of trying to utilize that narrative to say, well, the Democrats are coming. Let's protect our guns from the state level, even if they, you know, take over the state. So that's Jose's job. And he's he's doing a great job. He's already juiced in with all of the uh, the gun organizations. And we should be able to get emails from them out to their constituency and connecting them to Jose. And based on that, it's going to give us the idea of where the strongest points are to uh, target, you know, and then you got Lake Jackson. So maybe, uh, you know, one of our doctor friends over there can, <laughs> can give an endorsement. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's very exciting. And, and for me, it's just it personally makes me a bit tickled that the two big issue coalitions that we're working on right now are psychedelics with the left and, and guns with the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Mises Caucus then is about more than just trying to influence the Libertarian Party in a particular direction or endorsing a candidate or supporting a candidate here and there. But it is also about going out and doing what needs to be done to change the conversation and even change the law in various ways that would be favorable to us. Yeah, I mean, it's again, I think it's the only way that we're going to gain trust so that we can make the arguments. Right now, when you make the arguments, people are already on their team. They don't care. You're just the other side. But if you can establish that trust, then you can get behind that wall and you can get behind that barrier and and start to have real conversations and meaningful conversations from a place of legitimacy and trust. And I think that's where the real change can happen and, and where real growth for us can happen. 
I'd like you to take a minute to talk about the race for chairman of the Libertarian National Committee. And this is the kind of issue that in many previous years would have been of interest only to party insiders. But even people who have no particular interest in the Libertarian Party, I think are interested in this chair race simply because of, well, you know, some high-profile clashes that the current chair has had with some fairly high-profile Libertarians. So that's made a lot of people sit up and take notice about what's going on. So what's the state of that race? I mean, that that goes on just like the presidential one all the way up to the convention in May. Yeah. So right now there's three people running for chair of the Libertarian Party. It's Joshua Smith, who you've had on your show several times, and he is our endorsed chair candidate and a, a good friend of mine that everybody should support. It's him. It's Mike Shipley, who was the rent is theft guy. And um, there's another guy. I'm, I might screw his last name up, Todd Hagopian. And, um, you know, he's he's got some business acumen and he's got some good stuff to say. But at the same time, he's he's not exactly uh, immersed in the party and immersed in the culture and trusted by the delegates. So as of right now, Josh has a very clear path to winning the chair race. Now, I don't know if that's going to hold. There's a lot of speculation of is Nick going to run again? And and there's a lot of speculation of is a guy who is currently on the LNC named Joe Bishop Henchman, who is associated with the uh, what's called the Pragmatist Caucus, if he's going to run. And but at the same time, I, I think Josh will have a very good shot no matter what happens, because he's really built a lot of credibility for himself. He's really got in and done the work for recruiting. And, and he's the biggest recruiter in the LP right now, at least on the the, the LNC. And, and that's not just something I'm saying. That's something that the executive director of the party is noting him for and, and praising him for. You know, he's done a lot of work on committees. He's done a lot of work on fundraising. He's done a lot of work to take care of the criticism that people had for him on the first run. And you can just kind of tell that he's a little bit more experienced and a little bit more wise and a little bit more, you know, hip to how to play it and gain that support. So I feel very good about it. I mean, we had a lot of energy going into the last race. Now we have a lot of momentum, you know, and and energy. I mean, where we were at six months before the last convention in 2018 versus six months ahead of the 2020 is just completely different places. It's getting to be pretty well known that Josh and us and, you know, thanks to you uh, creating uh, TomWoods.com slash LP with uh, your recruitment link that um, we are the big recruiters in the party now and no one can take that from us. Well, and that's kind of what I've been telling people, that if you want to be part of this, what Dave Smith and Scott Horton and I are hoping to do here with Hornberger and the Libertarian Party, namely remembering that it is called the Libertarian Party. And so for a lot of people, for better or worse, that's what they think libertarianism is. I mean, why wouldn't you think that? It's called the Libertarian Party. Yeah. I would expect that I would get green views if I went over to the Green Party, you know? And and if, if that's not the case, then for the sake of protecting the brand, we got to change that. And if you want to join us in doing that, you can join through my link. You'll see it on the Libertarian Party page. There's a page that has my show logo on it. I think that probably sends some kind of a message if people are coming in through me. So as you say, the link is tomwoods.com slash LP. Now, I want to get back to an issue related to the National Convention. I'd like you to describe exactly what it is that a delegate does or can do at the convention. It's not just select the presidential nominee. There's a lot more that a delegate can do. So what goes on in the life of a delegate basically during the convention? 
So all of the important party business is handled by delegates at the national convention. So what I mean by important party business is votes to change the platform. You know, you can you could write up a, a, an amendment to the platform and submit it right now and have it added to the schedule. You could do that for the bylaws. You can show up and, and vote for the presidential candidates. And that's going to be I mean, that's going to dominate our branding and messaging for the next year. Uh, you can vote for the officers. And then on top of that, it's just a, it's also a big party. You know, there's these breakout sessions. There's great speakers. There's friends that you've you've talked with for years online that that they're all in one place, you know, and, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's just an overall good time. But, yeah, you can. I mean, so, for example, one point of contention in the party is that the party has explicitly endorsed the pro-choice position in regards to abortion. And it's very contentious in the party because there's a lot of people that feel that 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 violates the NAP and that that's not really representative of all of libertarian thought or or, uh, all of the constituency or anything like that. So there's a move on every year to try to have that plank removed from the platform and uh, replaced with nothing, which is personally what I think should happen, because I I think from a libertarian perspective, it's kind of a tautology. But yeah, I mean, if we had enough support for that, you could end that whole point of contention. You know, you could uh, you could try to do something about the overtly open borders position on there. And again, where I'm coming from on this is the party has already taken a position that we are not saying we're a minarchist party or an anarchist party, which I think opens those two particular issues up to a legitimate libertarian spectrum. And that by picking a side on these issues, we're not respecting that spectrum. We're essentially forcing one position within that spectrum down the throats of everybody else. And that's why they're, they're fights, because they're not really debates. They're, well, my side has the platform and you lose and I win and, you know, nobody's happy. Well, or one side isn't happy. And, uh, you know, you could, you could do something about that. There's all kinds of options available to you. Uh, Michael, as we sit here on Thanksgiving Day talking, or is this being aired on Thanksgiving Day, I'm actually reminded of a post on Facebook you did on Tuesday of this week where you were just flabbergasted at where your life has taken you and how thankful you are to be where you are. Now, I don't want to embarrass you by reading you know, a, a Facebook post you didn't authorize me to read, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think this is one day out of the year that we are genuinely allowed to be sappy. So if you want to be sappy, here's your chance. <laughs> Well, yeah. So, all right. What, what am I thankful for then? I, I mean, I'll, I'll stick with what's what I said in the post. Essentially, then is is uh, you know, I, I've been a libertarian activist for over ten years now. I mean, I'm thirty years old, and I've been involved in some way, shape, or form since I was fifteen. And my whole goal with the Mises Caucus was to kind of reignite the Ron Paul Revolution and recapture that feeling. And I know you know what I'm talking about when I say that that feeling, that spirit, that belief, that faith that we had that something could actually be done about the status situation. And that's, I'm just, I, I never in my wildest dreams when I, when I conceptualized this idea two years ago that I would be on your show three times, that I would be, you know, having my picture taken at Ron Paul's dining room table with him and you and Lou. And I, I never imagined that there would be all of these people, you know, I, I go to conventions now and I got people saying that they're inspired by me. And that's not something I set out for when I did this. You know what I mean? Like that was, that, that's something I didn't see coming. And it's overwhelming. You know, I, I honestly, I don't know how Jordan Peterson has, has been able to handle the, the incredible roller coaster ride that he's on because this all feels super heavy for me. And I just, I'm so grateful for everybody's support and, and, you know, for people to tell me that 
man, this thing is starting to feel like the Ron Paul revolution. That's like truly special to me. So there's a lot to be thankful for and there's a lot to, to look forward to because I'm not, as long as people stand by me, I'm not going to give up. Well, I'll tell you guys, um, one of the things I'm thankful for, and this is really going to get sappy, but I'm thankful for Michael here. I really, I'm honest and truly, I'm saying that just out of the, from the bottom of my heart that I see my youthful exuberance in in him. Not that I don't still have the enthusiasm, but man, if I were running something, I would want Michael to be a part of it. You know, there are, there's a handful of people I've said that about on this show, and I would want Michael because I know things would get done. <laughs> things things would happen with him doing it. So the Mises Caucus is a very very worthy group of folks to support. So TomWoods.com/lp if you want to be part of what we're doing. But then if they want to find out more about support or join the Mises Caucus of the Libertarian Party, where would they go? The website for where you all that we're offering and you can get involved uh, with us is TakeHumanAction.com. And then I'll give you some other links for some other solid resources for people who are interested in becoming delegates or, uh, you know, we have the beginner's guide to the LP. We have the delegates checklist and stuff to really get people started. And uh, I, I'll give you some reassurance, Tom. I uh, I haven't even evolved to my ultimate form yet because I'm still working a day job. And there's going to come a day. I don't know when it's going to be, but there's going to come a day where that's not the case anymore. And I'm going to be able to organize my entire life around this. And that's that's going to be when I <laughs> evolve to my ultimate form. Well, that's tremendous. And and we'll certainly look forward to that day. So I'm going to have some really helpful links up at tomwoods.com slash 1544. So go check those out. I mean, look, you've by this point in the day, you've already talked to Aunt Zelda as much as you possibly can. You have nothing left to talk to her about, for heaven's sake. Sneak away and read these links over at tomwoods.com slash 1544. Thanks a lot, Michael. Happy Thanksgiving. Take human action. All right, folks. So if you do want to join up with what we're doing, then definitely join through my link. That does send a message, I think. So tomwoods.com slash LP. And don't forget it's Black Friday weekend. You can't possibly, you've been meaning every year, you've been meaning to do it, can't possibly pass up the Liberty Classroom deal. And by the way, we're just about to add a course on Latin American history. And you just, as I've said, you can't find Latin American history not taught by a Marxist. It's basically impossible. So we've got stuff that you're just not going to find anywhere else. So check it out at libertyclassroom.com, and I'll see you tomorrow for a really juicy episode with Dan McCarthy. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of the Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.